Uh, good morning. My name is Morgan Putman, and I'm one of the, the guys who serves on the leadership team here at Vintage. And like I always say, a lot of the stuff I do is behind the scenes, just a lot of uh, meeting and and reporting and things like that. And every so often, I get to preach. And I think this is the most frequently I've preached or in a probably month or so span. It's like twice in a month and a half. And so, Bryce, look out. I'm coming for your job. <laughs> uh, so if you like, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's where we're going to be most of this morning. And so as y'all know, we're in the middle of, or I guess still the beginning, but in the middle of a series called The Kingdom Family. And Bryce started it out and kind of gave us a framework that we're going to be moving forward on for the whole, like kind of an overview of the whole series. And last week, Stephen preached on why and how we can build lasting godly heritage by by leading our family in worship through scripture, prayer, and song. And I thought Stephen was going to be here this morning, but they, uh, like I said, they took off a little early for a vacation they were planning. And so Stephen's not going to hear me brag on him because I was going to brag about how I've witnessed him do these things and how I've witnessed him lead his family firsthand in doing so. Because a while ago we used to meet at Stephen's house for MC and the job I was working at at the time caused me to be late for MC and miss the majority of the, like the, the scheduled and structured time. And so I still value that, that time with my people in that kind of community and so most of the times I would stay after everyone left and kind of hang out with, with just the McNeils for a little while. And I would be there with them and witness their nighttime routine, which would be Stephen sitting down in the chair, his family. At the time, it was just the two children. Now they got like seven. And, and so it would be Stephen just sitting there, and they would read a story together. Not just any story, but a story out of the Bible. Most of the times it was the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a great resource I recommend you get and use for your family. And I would see him read and lead his family and in worship. And I always thought that was a beautiful thing because I come from a background that, that isn't necessarily church. And so seeing that firsthand and seeing that kind of family worship and family discipleship take place and and see what it looks like to be a biblical leader in your home was encouraging to see. And so it sucks that Stephen isn't going to hear me say all this unless she go back, goes back to listen to the sermon. And so, but with that being said, today we're going to be talking about something that most of you probably will check out on because y'all, I just know how people are. I'm the same way. If something doesn't directly apply to me, I kind of check out. But I'm going to be talking about singleness and, and dating and a little bit about, about marriage. And so when we were discussing what we were going to preach, there was a, a meeting that we had, one our, our just our regular leadership meeting, and Blake looked at me and said, hey, what uh, topic do you want to pick or do you want to preach? And prior to that, we had took some time to, you know, list out a bunch of topics. There was Topics about marriage, topics about uh, having a healthy marriage and stewardship and parenting and so on and so forth. And so if you've seen my posts on Facebook, you know that I have much to say about some of those topics. And 
And so when Blake looked at me and asked, what do you want to preach? I said, without any, any hesitation, I said, parenting. Because I see how people parent, and I've seen the scripture, and I've seen parenting be done in my own life. I don't have any kids I'm talking about from when I was parented back in the day. And let me tell you, I've never been shot down more quickly in my life. <laughs> like, I've had some wild suggestions on on things and, and thought they were good ideas, but Blake just looked at me as if I was just completely joking. And so Blake said to me, not going to happen. And I quote, you're doing singleness and dating. And so Blake, if you've been in any sort of conversation with Blake, you know that he likes to ask questions with his mind already made up. (laughs) And so (laughs) I know Bryce and Stephen and Drew can attest to this. And so Blake will ask ask a question with his mind made up. And so he knew when he asked me with 100% certainty that he was going to put me down for singleness and dating and nothing else. (laughs) And so even though I have many thoughts and biblical ideas and principles that can be applied to parenting and and marriage, I'm here to to preach to you about glorifying God and singleness. And so just some insight on what goes on whenever someone preaches here. Blake usually sends out a text message and asks what kind of songs— or ask, is there any songs that you think will be relevant for the upcoming sermon? And when I got that text this week, knowing I was preaching about singleness and dating, I had some songs that came to my mind. One was Single Ladies by Beyonce. (laughs) One was Single for the Summer by Sam Hunt. Another was Miss Independent by Neo. And and Blake kind of read the situation and knew where my mind was. And so he offered up some suggestions and he said, independent by Labusi and Lil Webby, you know, I-N-D-E-P-E, that song. And a a song by Memphis legend, Play a Fly, Nobody Needs Nobody. nobody. And so it was much to my disappointment that I came in here and got ready to worship. And I was looking forward to just singing all these beautiful hymns about about singleness and, and so on and so forth that I didn't hear any Beyonce or any Neo. (laughs) And so all jokes aside, I'd like to take a few minutes to look at singleness and dating and give us kind of an idea of what it looks like to glorify God in those stages of of our life. And so we were talking about topics to preach and singleness came up. I remember getting kind of happy because oftentimes single people in church, like how Blake kind of mentioned during the songs, that a lot of times those people get cast off to the side, and people big up marriage, and marriage is a beautiful thing. It's a biblical thing, and, and no means, and, and by no means do I want to diminish the role that marriage has, and, and the way that God uses marriages, and how he ordains them. But oftentimes, it can be seen as Single people aren't as much or aren't as, as gifted or aren't as, as able to be used by God because of their, their relationship status. And so it's often, oftentimes people make remarks that are generally, I wouldn't, wouldn't say that people are meaning to be spiteful or be mean in these circumstances, but those comments can come across to single people as 
as hurtful. And so, like, I have a friend who's in the medical field, and she just moved away. And she told me about a conversation that she had with a lady at a church. And she said, you're going to go up there and find a doctor and bring him back home and marry. And she told me that she kind of laughed off the comment in the moment. But as she was speaking with me, I could see that she was frustrated because if any of y'all know her, you would know that she doesn't really want to get married, at least not anytime soon. And so the constant pressure that, that single people feel in the South, whether they want to be married or want to remain single, can be overbearing. Because in the South, you know, you get married at, at 12 and have kids at 13 and, and you start writing books at 15. And so, and so those, are you dating anybody yet? Or why are you still single questions can oftentimes come across as as hurtful, which for me isn't really a big deal because I'm, y'all know my personality. I'm apathetic and nonchalant about 99% of everything. But oftentimes for others, those questions and those remarks can be a reminder of a loneliness that they feel or a longing that they have to be someone's husband or someone's wife. And so with that, I want to take this morning to encourage and to challenge your idea of singleness and dating and even some in marriage. And with that, I'd like you to go ahead and look down at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, start at verse 6. And God's word says this, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as, were as I am myself, or I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. And then skip down to verse 32. Paul continues and says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the about the things of the, of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried and betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let's pray. Now, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your word and for the, the many gifts that you give us in life. God, you are the giver of all good gifts, and all gifts come from you. Now, whether it be the gift of marriage or the gift of singleness, God, they are both gifts that can be used and are to be used for your glory. So, God, I pray that as I preach this morning and as we look at your word and, and discuss some of these topics, God, I pray that you will glorify yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so when I was writing my sermon I kind of thought due to the nature of the Bible not being very extensive on the, the subject of being single and dating, 
I felt like we were going to have a fairly quick sermon this morning. And I thought that up until I finished my sermon last night, and I, sometimes I like to compare, just kind of give a ballpark on length of about how long my sermon will be. And so I looked at my last sermon and my last notes, and I think it was maybe 12 or, or 13 pages, and that sermon was about like 30, 35 minutes. And so I finished this sermon, and I looked at my, my page count, and I thought, it's a lot more than 12 or 13 pages, and so might be here for a while, but I'll try to get us out of here quickly so we can go ahead and get some lunch. All right, and so the first thing I want to address, I want to begin with singleness. And the first thing I want us to see in singleness is that singleness is a gift. Singleness is a gift. Look back at the word of verse 7. I wish that all were as I, am, as I myself am, but each one, but each has his own gift, one of one kind and one of another. And we see Paul being, or Paul calls being single a gift here, and it's a gift that he has. And it's also a gift that Jesus had because Jesus, as you know, was single. He lived his life, did his ministry as being single. He taught on everything from, from anger to marriage and divorce and, and discipleship, all while being single. And so next time Blake asks what I want to preach, I want to tell, show him the text and say that being single doesn't disqualify you from preaching on things that you don't have necessary experience with. <laughs> because Paul and Jesus were both big teachers on, on marriage, and, and Paul was a big teacher on, on fatherhood and, and serving in that way. But I'm kidding around, but I want to get back to, to the passage. And so we see that in this passage, being single has, advantage, has advantages and freedoms that being married doesn't. Look back at verse 32. I'm going to read that again. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried and betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And so we see in that passage that when you're single, you're free from the anxieties that marriage comes with. And I'm sure if we were to ask married couples all around the room, they would gladly tell you that being married carries a different type of weight and a different type of stress than being single and only worrying about yourself does. Even being married with no kids offers you a freedom that being married with, with many children doesn't offer you. And so when you're single, we have more time. And I say we because I'm single. We, have, we don't have to seek how to please our spouse. We can devote all our attention to pleasing the Lord. We're free to seek how to be holy in body and in spirit. We're free to serve more. Back in a while, a long time ago, 
when Vintage was first starting and we were first having to deal with setup and, and everything, I would show up very early and regardless if I was on setup team or not, I would, I would serve in that way because I had the freedom and I had the time to do so. I didn't have to worry about my wife being, being late or, or my kids keeping me late or, or having a dress. Anybody, it was me, get up, shower, get ready, and go. And I could be there and be available for service. And I've seen Justin do that same thing over the past year or so as I kind of stopped doing that same thing and enjoyed the freedom to lay in my bed and to, to serve my own interests by sleeping a little bit more. But I just want to encourage my single brothers and sisters out here to, whether you've been single for a long time or short, a short amount of time, to use the gift that you have to glorify the Lord. Because like I said, all good gifts are from God. All good gifts are from the Lord. One writer told, I said, told me, one writer said, as I was reading, he said, instead of sitting around trying to talk myself out of loneliness, I got up and went on mission. I grabbed lunch with non-believers, pursued time with Christian brothers, and grew in knowledge of his word and discipled men on campus. Oftentimes when we have gifts, we use them for a little while and then toss them off to the side. You don't need any more example of that than Christmas. You spend all this money on toys and, and games and things that, that we think the kids are going to want and love and enjoy for a while. But by February, mid-March, kids are back in their own thing, doing their own, their own thing with, with all the toys that they had already had. And so the gifts that you gave them that you spent so much time and, and money and love securing or just toss it aside after a few while, after a short while. Much can be said the same. Much of the same can be said about singleness. We can use our time to glorify the Lord for a short while, and no other example than myself. I was using my time to glorify the Lord, serving, showing up, doing anything, anywhere. That was, I'd like to say, my spiritual gift was showing up and doing whatever I was told, serving in that way. And then as time went on, just progressively started doing less and less and, and showing up less and being less faithful to, to the gift that God had given me, which is, which is singleness. And so I urge you, whatever gift you have, whether it be being married or being single, use that gift to glorify the Lord. One writer also said, Enjoy the freedom your schedule allows. Go on mission trips. Build depth of relationships with friends. Linger a little while longer in God's Word and read books that fuel your faith. Use your gift of singleness as a way to edify and bless the church. Devote yourself to the Word or to the work of God. It's like Paul said down in verse 36 I say this for your own benefit not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul knew the gift of singleness that he had. He knew the gift and the time that he had to devote to the Lord. I'd like to think that's why he wrote so much of the New Testament, because he had that gift. He had the Holy Spirit guiding him 
And he had the time and the freedom to serve not just his local body, but many local bodies. And so before moving on to the next thing, there's two things I want to warn you about in singleness and and two things I want you to, to protect in this stage of singleness. First being your heart. Protect your heart. Protect your heart. I know that singleness can be lonely, and that there are oftentimes where you get in your own head. Trust me, I've done it before. And I know that it's oftentimes, especially in the South, difficult to to see all your friends and, and relatives getting married, and you still not have anyone. But it is of the utmost importance to protect your heart. I not so jokingly say all the time that I want to be someone's, someone's little spoon. And thinking about spooning is normally a big spoon and a little spoon. I know it's funny to think about an average size woman being the big spoon for a former offensive lineman who's still built like that offensive lineman. <laughs> but sometimes your boy just want to be held by a little boot thing. <laughs> and so these desires... They're desires that need to be expressed without thinking less of the gift that we currently have, which is singleness. You can have those desires for marriage and those longings for, for marriage and for children and for your own family without wasting the gift that you currently have. So we see in the Bible, the desire to get married is a good and holy thing. Back in Genesis, it said it's not good for man to be alone. And in Proverbs, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. But God is still working in you and planning on using you in your current state for his glory. Don't try to expedite the work of God by moving on your own. Because that that rarely, if ever, works. We can't rush God's time because he is outside of time himself and he moves according to his own his own schedule. And so you also see a lot of uh entertainment playing with our emotions and and getting in your head. And so I want to tell you to be wary of a fiction masquerading itself as truth. In a world we live in, there's nothing, there's no shortage of entertainment to consume that misconstrues life, romance, singleness, and dating. Chick flicks, for examples. (laughs) Writers, actors, directors, producers are all paid incredible amounts of money to create films that elicit an emotion from us. And so we must keep in mind that while they're fun and they're good for entertainment, that they're horrible for basing your life on. The Notebook is just a story. Fifty First Dates is just a movie. And if I were to write y'all, or if I were to ask you and to survey the room, 100% of people who've spoken to me more than twice would know what my favorite movie is, Hitch. And so Hitch is a great movie. Everyone that I know loves Hitch. And so it's the story of a date doctor, air quotes, date doctor, who basically helps guys get in relationships with women they'd otherwise have no shot of being with. And so Hitch comes across a guy who is he's in love with a celebrity. And he basically helps him get her while also developing his own love interest with another, another girl. And while that is an incredible movie with great writing, 
I'm no longer naive enough to think that it's real and can be replicated no matter how much I love Will Smith and no matter how much I would love to be as smooth as him. But not just movies. Look at romantic books. Look at love songs. Again, if you would ask people in the room who knew me, they ask them what kind of music do I like, they would say R&B and songs about love, songs about relationships and so on and so forth. But one problem with that music is that it's just the same as chick flicks. It's stories that if people are paid to write and create to elicit emotion. I mean, look at TV shows like Friends, The Office, Grey's Anatomy. While these are all shows about different subjects, they all deal with, with romance and create their own stories. But not just the fiction that people get paid to, to produce. Also, social media and even your own friends. Now, this is not just something that's helpful in, in singleness, but also in life in general. I'm just going to tell you, what you see and what your friends portray on social media is not the whole story. Very rarely do you see your friends post and, and share and tweet that they had a, a huge fight over something trivial or whatever's happening in their life. But you'll always see the date night pictures and the cute little lovey videos of them being sweet. And so right or wrong, people don't put their whole lives on display on social media. And so what you end up seeing is just a highlight tape of their relationship and of their life. So be weary of those things. Also be weary of cultural lies creeping into your heart. Even within the church, there's, the, there's these lies and false expectations that we often believe. I know Cody can attest to this back when we were in high school. We think to the future, 25, 26 years old, often talked about how I'd probably be married with four kids by now. I'm not. I have no kids, no love interests, no wife, no none of that. And so you don't have to be married and three kids in by age 18. You are not any less because you are single. And also singleness is not a punishment for past sins. One writer said, whatever sins you've committed in the past, the alcoholism, sexual promiscuity, emotional impurity, envy, and whatever your current struggle is, if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation and nothing that can separate you from the good gifts that he has for you, according to Romans 8, including the ultimate gift himself. So you are not broken because you are single. You are gifted and uniquely equipped to serve the Lord because you're single. And so first protection that I talked about was protecting your heart, protecting your heart. And the second that I want to discuss is protecting your purity. Protect your purity. And so God has called us to live pure lives. And when I say purity, I'm speaking about sexual purity. This may be awkward for some to hear because there's children in the room and, and sometimes things that hadn't been discussed yet. But I would say, I would say in today's culture, but I'd be dishonest if I were to make it seem like sexual, what I like to call out-of-pocketness, was a thing of recent history. All the way back to biblical times, they were out-of-pocket with sexual, sexuality and going against what God had designed for sex. You can see, if you read Proverbs in the middle, like I think it was six, seven, six and seven chapters, that the author is warning his son 
from going and visiting the adulterers. Just telling her, stay away. Like, that's the house. Go the other way. And you see, so you see that even in those times, she's giving those warnings because people are, what I like to say, out of pocket in terms of sexuality. And even some of the men that God used later in Scripture or previously in Scripture, like Abraham having a son out of wedlock because he couldn't have one with his wife at the time. That's where I got the idea that trying to expedite the work of the Lord by acting on your own accord doesn't work. Because even when he was out of pocket and he did the things that he wanted to do, God didn't move according to his plan. He still moved, or when I say his plan, Abraham's plan, God still moved according to his own plan. And look at the media we consume. Just about every show made for made from ones for teenagers to ones and old folks is riddled with, with subject matter dealing with sex. And the culture at large has been telling us for years to get in, get out, and get as much as you can. I mean, look at what the culture at large is communicating, saying that it's empowering for women to be promiscuous. And guys sleeping around with women and avoiding commitment are praised for being players or pimps or max or playboys, whatever you want to, whatever term you want to use. And even when you're alone, porn being easily accessible for all to consume, the culture is communicating sexual promiscuity and is going against the teaching of God for sexual purity. I mean, even in Christian culture, we can see people who are, who are dating, tiptoeing lines, and doing everything that they can to each other and not have sex just in order to say that they remain pure. But God has a different design for sex, and I think Blake in a couple of weeks is going to be preaching about that. And so this isn't a lecture about not having sex, and this is just a warning that's not just applicable to single people. This is me telling you to keep your guard up against sexual sin. In the middle of the night when it's easy to go to websites you shouldn't be on, or when you've been out with friends and you see someone and they catch your eye, y'all start making moves. Or even when you're married and you and your spouse are struggling and you have that work husband or work wife that's there and y'all want to get a little bit too friendly. In whatever circumstances you're in, I urge you to protect your purity. And so I want to kind of leave, sing- leave the, the singleness topic with just a few questions. I'll say them slow because it's not going to be on the board. One, am I pursuing the Lord? Am I pursuing the Lord? Two, am I content in the Lord? Am I content in the Lord? Three, what are my desires, and are they holy? What are my desires, and are they holy? I forgot what number this is, but am I, four, am I actively serving the Lord with my gift of singleness? Am I actively serving the Lord with my gift of singleness? And last, Am I being out of pocket? Am I being out of pocket?
And so we've dealt with singleness, and now I want to talk about dating. I want to talk about dating. This one is probably one of the tougher things for me to preach because normally when I preach, I have a text, and I use materials and my own knowledge to to preach that text. But the Bible isn't necessarily all that clear and explicit on dating because it's, like a lot of people like to say, it's kind of a newer concept. And so if I were to just preach the text, I would go back to Genesis, and I'll tell you to fall in love with someone, work for their father for seven years, (laughs) marry his daughter, realize you married the wrong daughter, and then work for him for another seven years, and then marry that daughter. That's not really how things really happen anymore. So with that being said, I'm going to share just some of my thoughts as well as some, some helpful tips that I found from reading around on the subject from some pretty reliable sources. And so first and foremost, number one, under dating, this is a topic I feel very strongly about. You're not married. When you're dating, you're not married. Now, this is something that I've caught backlash for in the past, but I don't care. There's a hill I die on. I stand firm on it, and I'll stand firm on it until the day I die. If you ain't married, you're single, as you've probably heard me say it in the past. And so your current fling, your current relationship status isn't your spouse. Y'all are just friends that like to spend time with one another. Thank you. And so that person that you spend all this time with, until you've entered into a covenant relationship with them, you're single and y'all are just friends. And so many people would tell you that in dating, in a dating relationship, that the man is supposed to be leading and that in, in doing all the, to be doing all the things that a husband should be doing according to the scripture. However, I would say that the boy or girl that you're dating is only to be considered a friend. And that you need to have separate lives and relationships with the Lord. And that they don't need to be dependent upon one another. Because relationships end. Flings, they end. Even engagements, they end. And not every person that you date is going to be your Prince Charming or your Queen Elizabeth. And they shouldn't be expected to. And so the first thing I want you to see was you're not married. And the second thing is to honor the Lord. Now, this is the most important. And when I say honor the Lord, I mean in every way possible. One way that I've found in the past to be helpful, and that I've read testimony after testimony on, is to set clear and concrete boundaries. Clear and concrete boundaries can set the table up front for what will and will not be tolerated down the line. Whatever you find that friend that you want to spend a little more time with. And so boundaries are, they're helpful in dating and relationships because they can help you to guard your heart and your mind against sin and against temptation. Boundaries allow for relationships to flourish 
by keeping in mind what will and won't be tolerated and keeping all the guessing games out of the relationship. It was said to me a while ago that that rules and boundaries and structures are kind of like a fence for an animal. The animal, your pet, I mean when I say your animal, your pet can run around outside and have loads and loads of fun within those boundaries while also being protected from the dangers of the outside world. Same with your children. Your children can flourish in your house and in your backyard. But when they step out of those boundaries, especially when you're not around, it's harder for them to be protected. The same way in dating relationships. When you have those boundaries and those concrete boundaries established up front, it's easier for you to flourish in that relationship. Like I said, because you know what will and will not be tolerated and what is and what isn't honoring to the Lord. Another way to honor the Lord in dating is to keep yourself in community while you're dating. So keep yourself in community while you're dating. Far too often people get in relationships and they remove themselves from all the community that they have. All the people that love them and that spend time with them and that know them all the people that keep them in check. It isn't healthy to be away from community, especially while you're in a dating relationship. And this isn't just a Christian thing either. This is for relationships in general. Like even worldly relationships. You see people get in, they get together, and all of a sudden they ghost all their friends. They stop talking to all their friends and they stop talking to their families. And they end up being in toxic situations because no one was around to keep them in check. No one was around to tell them they love them. They had no one around to spend time with them. And alongside with that community is accountability. So keep accountability in place when you're dating. Having people in your life who know you, know the real you, they love you, and they have that, that equity in your life to be able to speak to you bluntly, and straightforward. They have that ability to keep you in check and make sure that you're honoring the Lord and how you're moving in your relationship. And so just like I had with singleness, I have some questions I want to leave you with, with dating. What am I looking for? What am I looking for? And what are my expectations? What's driving my desires, and are they holy? Am I being held accountable? And is my relationship glorifying the Lord? Okay, now I've dealt with dating and singleness, and I want to quickly offer up some words of advice to the married folk in here. So we're talking about marriage. First thing is, your single friends aren't your projects. Your single friends are not your projects. It isn't your job to work on your single friends, to build them up and make them ready to marry, or even to set them up 
to marry someone. Not every single friend you have wants to marry your other single friend. None of something I've dealt with in the past. A lot of my married friends, oh, I have someone that'd be perfect for you. And you look at them and you spend time with them and they're not perfect for you. Just because it is your two single friends doesn't mean they need to be together. <laughs> and so trying to, to set up your friends and show pictures to your single friends sometimes makes them feel kind of weird. Like, I just want to relax with my friends. I don't want to see all your pictures of your other single friends. And so it's okay to let these things happen naturally and organically. And if you want to introduce them to your friend, if, you, or if they want you to introduce them to your friend, they'll probably ask. I'll be like, dang, who is that you was with? She cute. What's her name? Y'all trying to go to lunch together or something? <laughs> 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 and so your single friends aren't your projects. And also your, singles, your single friends, their feelings are valid. Your single friend's feelings are valid. Now, your friend being single doesn't automatically make their feelings void. Don't try to marriage or mommy jack all the conversations that, that you're in with your single friends. Don't try to invalidate their feelings. Even if you don't think you're doing so, you're probably doing so. Just think back to when you were childless and you would say, man, I'm tired. And your, your married mommy friend would say, you think you're tired. Try having kids. It's like, in that moment, you're, you being tired wasn't, wasn't negated because your friend is a mommy or a daddy. And in the same way, your friend being single and voicing their feelings doesn't need to be one-upped. Things can just be how they are. And oftentimes, diminishing their feelings will shut them off from you and can actually sever those bonds and make them not want to be around you because they don't feel important, they don't feel validated. And oftentimes, single friends can, single people can be put off by the married friends and the comments that they're making because they're belittling them without even knowing it. And so when your friend voices their concerns or frustrations, just listen to them. It's probably hard for them to even talk about. And lastly, your single friends need community. One person said, model what it looks like to serve and love your spouse by having single people in your home. I mean, you can even see that in Scripture. If you look at Titus 2, Titus 2 verse 2 says this, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, Sound in faith, excuse me. Sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Excuse me. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands that the word of God might not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. 
so that an opportunity or so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And on that subject, Matt Chandler said, personally, I try to do this by having single men into our home. Lauren, who's his wife, will almost always cook the meal and I will help set the table. And then afterwards, the young man or the young man gets to help me do the dishes. And it's just my way of, of going, hey, this is how I serve my wife. Or this is a way that I can serve my wife. And then while we do the dishes, I tend to just talk about the ways that I try to make space for Lauren's gifts. So this is an intentional, organic kind of culture of discipleship that I hope is woven into the village. On top of that, my hope would be that young men would seek older men, seek out older men. And I've told them before, hound older men, ask, can I get in your space? Whatever you normally do, can I just come join you in that? And so married couples, I know the last thing you probably want is to have some single person all in your space, all in your house, eating all your food, breathing all your cold AC. But know that it is biblical. It's mutually beneficial and it's glorifying to the Lord when you do so. And so in whatever season God might have you in, choose to bloom where you're planted. Embrace the life God has called you to. Whether single or married, trust that both are callings, are precious gifts, and that both will be painful and overwhelming in hardships. But both will have advantages and unique opportunities for discipleship. And I want to close with these words from, from Philip Holmes. He said this, Kill sin while you're single. Getting married won't automatically make you holy. The things that you struggle with in singleness will still be a struggle in marriage if you don't kill them. And no, marriage will not instantly change you. God, because of Christ, through his Holy Spirit, will change you when you've surrendered yourself to him, whether married or unmarried. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you for all the gifts that you've provided for your people. God, in singleness and in marriage, God, I just want to thank you. God, thank you that you allowed people to serve in both of those ways. And God, I pray that you'll continue to allow us to serve in these ways. God, I pray that we will be living in community with one another. God, I pray that we will be modeling Titus 2. And God, I pray that we will fight for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.